The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Panda Pig Inc. Rate, review, and subscribe. Hello again. This is Panda. And this is Pig. And welcome back to the Heart in the Bones podcast. We're here. We're here. How does it feel? Uh, we made it. <laughs> we made it. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming, one and all. Today, we're talking about uh, Bones, season one, episode wow, bones? five. We're talking about Bones? Wait. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. I know. We didn't plan this at all. This is I'm crazy. totally pulling so this out of nowhere. Crazy. The spontaneity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're on to episode five, correct? Mm-hmm. A boy right. in a bush. A boy in a bush. Mm-hmm. This right. episode was directed by Jesus Trevino. And written by Steve Blackman and Greg Ball. All new names so far. Wow. Yeah, I don't recognize any of these names from the past episodes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, kind of fresh. Kinda yeah. Fresh. This episode was fresh. Like, wow. Fresh and not ready. sad. <laughs> yes. They were like, "We, you need some sadness. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Boom. Exactly. So, this episode <laughs> is uh, about the... At first, the missing child, Charlie mm-hmm. uh, Sanders, I think it was his last name. I honestly don't remember his um, last name. I just remember Charlie. Yes. <laughs> Charlie's <laughs> mother uh, has has him and two foster brothers. Yeah. Charlie goes missing. They find his body uh, behind the mall. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it was the next-door neighbor... The next sex offender. Neighbor. The what did I say? Next door neighbor. The next door neighbor. The next door neighbor. neighbor is the one who is basically the sex offender and murderer. Um, and we also find out that Charlie's mother wasn't his biological mother either. That she quasi kidnapped, rescued him. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. So this episode has. A lot of emotions for everyone yes. involved. They just play with all of our emotions <laughs> in this one. Not only the case, but the characters. Yes. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. Everybody's in their feels in this yes. episode. Yes. Yes. Seriously. Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> so we start off um, at a lecture hall at American University. CCC. Mm-hmm. Bones mm-hmm. is giving some sort of lecture. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you notice at the beginning, she's talking about the relationship between the FBI and the Jeffersonian. Honestly, I wasn't paying attention to the words <laughs> that were coming out of her mouth because she's just awkwardly leaning over the podium. And all my thoughts were just like, you know, in the show Friends where Ross is giving like his presentation. Yes. And you just hear like Rachel and Joey like, huh, he said homo. <laughs> <laughs> that's you said, watching this or like erectus <laughs> oh my gosh me. i'm like wait what's happening and then obviously i'm paying attention to wow 
there's a laugh track, but it's not matching the audience's faces. So right, like the they're all come- <laughs> they're all dead serious. Yes. but the sound is like they're peeing their pants. Yes. <laughs> so like here I am watching, and I'm like. Yeah, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I just know you look very awkward right yeah, now. She looks like all she's on this. She looks like she's breaking her back over the podium, yes. like as if something's hanging above her. Yes, honestly, sure. I feel like that's how I am whenever I'm at work. This is how I lean. I just mm-hmm. lean over everything. Like, oh, yep. We have to this get you a cane. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so but what yeah, so were you thinking during the lecture? Because I obviously was not paying attention. So obviously the Jeffersonian is kind of the fictional version of the Smithsonian. Yeah. So my curiosity was if the Smithsonian has ever worked with the FBI on cases like they say they do in the show. Do they? Well, apparently they do. Yo, that's kind of cool. The Smithsonian does have a history with their forensic anthropology department and the FBI. Mm -hmm. So according to the National Museum of Natural History Smithsonian website, um, quote, Anthropologists at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History have been called upon to analyze human remains for over a century. The remains may represent victims of violence or natural disasters. In these cases, Smithsonian anthropologists work with the FBI, State Department, and other law enforcement agencies to identify the individuals and solve crimes. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's like, whoa, if you work at the Smithsonian, you're like the Mm -hmm. real bones here. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're a forensic anthropologist and you're working with the FBI, like, hey, I'm the real bones. Get it? Indeed, (laughs) indeed. That's actually really cool. Yeah, and that's the only thought I have for that part. I mean, really? obviously, Booth stands up. I love Booth. Oh, well, my gosh. I just, I want that smirk. He's just I like, know. yeah. Well, everybody in the yeah. audience is asking her questions about her book, mm-hmm. and Dr. Oben's, like, wagging his finger, like, hey, she's a scientist first and an author second. Right, but then, then here's Booth, mm-hmm. like, hey. Pops up. book, though. Even though... He's like, he pops up, but like, they look shocked to see him. Right. <laughs> but he's like, right there. He's just chilling right there, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, you didn't notice him at all. You, He's obviously <laughs> close enough to where you can hear him talk to you, but you have no idea what he's doing there. Exactly. Like, whoa, shock factor. You just somehow popped in here. What? Yep. And then he's like, trying to get confirmation that Bones based Agent Andy Lister on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the smirk. I know. His face. I could not. They could really emphasize it. a lot that she's an author in this episode. Yes. Like, they're like, hey, remember, hey, you know, books. Exactly. <laughs> but, so, mm-hmm. yeah. But here's the thing is, after that, you know, when they're walking to the car, mm-hmm. I really like their coats, first of all. I was like, wow, I like those coats. I want those coats. Mm-hmm. Can I have those coats? Call the wardrobe department. Give I them should. your compliments. Be like, hey, can I have that coat? I'd like that. That's a nice coat. <laughs> That's a nice coat. I like coat. that coat. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So you know how Bones is talking about her car? She got it from her publisher. Yes. And I was just like, wow, all fancy and inconvenient way to open the trunk. 
Right. I'm like, how are you going to put anything into that? Like, that just seems so inconvenient, the way it's opening. Like, the, does it open further? Huh? I got to be honest with you. I'm not a car person. I have no idea what kind of car that is. Neither do I. I don't know why she has to park it at an angle. That had me dying. But in my mind, I'm like, I feel like it takes a special talent to park as crooked as she did without hitting anyone. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what? what? Clearly she did it on purpose. Right, because she was told to. But I'm like, what is What is this? What What are this? Why? Why? <laughs> what is this car? Right. Something that I noticed, so Booth's telling Bones why he's at the lecture hall is basically they need to go to the mall. Yeah. Because they found a body. They found a body. And she's like, well, why am I here? And he pulls out this missing persons flyer for the victim of this episode, Charlie. Mm-hmm. And when you zoom in on it, it says that Charlie went missing October 16th, 2005. Interesting. And the episode aired November 1st, 2005. So this is the indication to me, at least, that they're showing the show is happening in real time with like current events. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I I didn't even look. In, but wait, he told them. The remains were at the mall? Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, Booth, when they were standing by the car, he told her that they needed to go to the mall because there was body there. At the mall? Yeah, behind the mall. Oh, behind the the mall? behind the mall. Oh, okay. I was confused. mm -hmm. Wait, what? No, no, no. You just walk into Hot Topic. There's (laughs) there's a body over there. Because I was like, wait a minute, they didn't discover that they went to the mall, so I'm like, did you just catch that? That they made an error in the episode that they said mall way before they discovered they went to the mall? What? No, it was in a field behind the mall. They knew that from the beginning. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Which leads us into the crime scene. So basically, they get to the crime scene. Mm -hmm. And how they know there's a body behind the mall is a bunch of kids were getting into shenanigans and called 911 crying, saying that there was a body there. Yeah. And you know... Bones talking about how, like, you know, they listen to inappropriate music. Right. And I was like, what's culturally inappropriate music? Like, I would love what to genre know. of music is that? Trip hop? Trap? Trip hop? Trip hop? Is culturally inappropriate. Yes. My only thought for this scene so you know how Zach puts on the thermal suit? Yes. And he says it reminds him of, oh, I can't Star remember. Wars? No, um, Zach. It reminded him of, I can't remember, it was the Flintstones or something. But anyways, Booth says it reminds him basically of Star Wars. Yeah. But to me, it reminded me of Back to the Future. Really? Um, In the scene where Marty McFly's already in the past and he visits his dad in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And he puts the Van Halen music (laughs) blasting in his ears. Yeah. Um, That's the scene that it reminded me of. Really? Not necessarily Star Wars. I'm like, boy does not look like Darth Vader. See, in my mind, I was thinking Monsters, Inc. Oh, yeah. I thought of that. And then, obviously, this game never came out till recently, but I thought of Among Us. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that works there's, too. There's an imposter among us. There, oh, oh, I see what you did there. I see. Mm-hmm. You. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yep. So they, so Zach finds the body, and 
can you just imagine being on like the special effects department where you're like trying to yeah. make this stuff look like human remains? Right. Like that's got to be so much fun. It's uh, that's really interesting. Because like they're just putting a bunch of stuff all over it, making it look as oh interesting. Yeah, because they really <laughs> zoom in on the fact that he's you know. Deteriorating, deteriorating right before your eye. <laughs> like, it's obviously messed up because it's this body of this really, really small little boy. But still, the detail they'd be putting into that. Mm-hmm. Mad props. Mad oh, props. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yep. So they oh. get to... Um, the lab? They get to the lab. That's the lab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they determine that the the body is... In fact, Charlie. And they figure out that he may have been sexually assaulted because his clothes and shoes were found, like, perfectly intact, but away from his body. Yeah. And they figure out that he's been dead, like, 48 hours, basically. Between 36 to 48 hours. I remember that. They figure out that he's probably between 6 and 10 years old. Um, And they see, you know, signs of trauma to his body. And everybody's kind of emotionally affected. Oh yeah, by seeing just how small yeah, this victim is. You could see like they're all really just they're having a really hard time. Like Angela, obviously, it's written all over her yes. face, her tone, her actions, everything. Even Zach, he has a tone. Even especially the way he said there's a blunt trauma to the chest. Mm-hmm. And then Hodgins, oh my gosh, she just looks so distraught. Mm-hmm. Like, when he confirmed the time of death, that's where you really could see it. Like, I just, wow. Yeah. It was really sad. It was pretty heavy. You could see it seems like Bones was the one who was really trying to keep it most together out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, like, keeping the ball rolling. At this point in the show, they've probably only worked on a couple of cases. And from working at a museum, they're not used to see. They haven't seen anything like this. Yeah. So, it's particularly traumatizing. Yeah. Because cause of the innocence and the fact that not only is this young boy, this little boy dead, but he was also presumably sexually assaulted and yeah. murdered. Which is really sad. But yeah, that was something I had to remind myself is, you remember, they were consultants in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is really fresh. So yeah. they're just like, whoa, 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 hold yep. up. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of answered my question because I was like, wait, you talked about how they had the the missing child sign you know, mm-hmm. of Charlie. And I was just like, hold up. Angela made a face for, like, the drawing of the victim. And I'm like, they only had that one to compare it to. I was just like, you know, you would think maybe there'd be others to con- compare it to. Like, it's so, I don't know. Suspend your disbelief. <sighs> you know what? <laughs> Movie magic. Here we go again. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I do think they could have used different pictures, but I think the main thing was is they didn't have an actual actor to play Charlie. Yeah. The uh, probably the only thing they paid for was to use that kid's headshot. Probably. Because they don't have any videos or flashbacks mm-hmm. of anything of Charlie. So I was just like, wait, are you just gonna compare it to this one and be like, Yep, that's the one. They're like, We're really trying to spread our budget thin these first few episodes, so if we don't actually have to hire a victim right. we're just Straight up, just a picture. They're also trying to keep the ball rolling. It's kind of moving pretty quickly, if you notice. Like, they're trying to get more into other details. So it's kind of moving at a steady pace. You're like, all right, keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they definitely the mood going. keep you entertained yes. and glued to your seat on this For one. For sure. Then, so now that they know that it's Charlie, 
uh, Booth goes to visit Charlie's mother. Yeah, he went to go inform her that it was Charlie and wanted to know more. Yes. I had a couple of thoughts about this scene. Did you? <laughs> oh, oh, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> First of all, what accent is Margaret trying to have? I I can't tell. I can't I, tell if she wants to be fast, fancy Boston slash English <laughs> slash... Honestly, Whatever. I just could not get over, like, this neighbor next to her oh, just El- being so sus. Her neighbor is Ellie Nelson. Okay. I didn't even pay attention to her name. She was just kind of annoying me. I paid attention to names. so well, that's good, because I <laughs> so, did not. I was just annoyed with her and her voice. Yes. My, so, Ellie Nelson is the wife and neighbor uh, well, she's the wife of Edward Nelson, who mm-hmm. ends up being the the villain. Yeah. And she's also the next door neighbor. So what we learn about Margaret in this scene is that Ellie Nelson's there to kind of comfort her. They're a close-knit neighborhood. Yeah. And Margaret... She's also trying to be kind of the voice for her whenever yes. Margaret can't speak. She's she, trying to clarify things and be mm-hmm. like, no, 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 you know. It's a mm-hmm. great place. She's trying to advocate. yes. Good choice of word. Yes. I was not going to figure it out. <laughs> yes. So basically, Margaret is a foster parent. She lives off of a trust fund. She doesn't mm-hmm. have a job. Which So the point where Booth is asking her what she does for her job, and she's like, they wouldn't let a single mother be a foster parent. That's a total lie. Um, you can absolutely <laughs> be a single mother and a foster parent and have a job. Like, that's not a law. That's not a thing. Yeah. But... I would not mind being a foster child to her because she's just living off of a trust fund. So, Margaret Sanders, please adopt me. Right. Like the fact she's that- just always home, always taking care of you. She got money somewhere coming, not working. But also, like, it kind of says a lot about her character that she's literally living off of this trust fund. She doesn't have to work, Mm-mm. but instead of working, And doing things more selfish with her money. She's a stay-at-home mom to foster children. Like, what a lady. There's, like, it's funny because you could see, like, different thoughts. You could see, like, wow, you know, that takes a lot to be stay-at-home mom. But then there's the other side where it's like, wow, she's kind of lazy because she didn't decide to get a job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, go something along those lines so you could make extra money or whatever. But Mm -hmm. it looks more like they're trying to portray, hey, your trust fund is... Very big. Yes, and clearly she doesn't. She doesn't need the money because a lot of the times the thing that sucks when it comes to foster parents is when you're a foster parent, you get a check from the state, Mm -hmm. and that money goes to taking care of the child. Right. And so sometimes you'll have people. Well, a lot of times you'll have people who take advantage of that system, and take that check for themselves and abuse the children who are already in you know, dire circumstances. That's so sad. It's horrible. People suck. So they kind of, they kind of paint her as like a model foster mother. Which is really nice to see, even though like some of the actions she took in this episode, it's kind of like, yo, yes, for sure. But it's like, they had you in the first half where she was like, Charlie was her only blood and he's the one who got killed. Mm -hmm. And then boom, found out she was not. Yes. Yo. And when... When she's talking, so um, Margaret's husband left her mm-hmm. supposedly before Charlie's born, which is true mm-hmm. because 
before another woman gave birth to Charlie, her and her husband got a divorce. Yeah. But she kind of omits the truth there. And when she says that, Ellie Nelson, right next to her, is like, and he doesn't even pay child support. And I'm like, look, Ellie, you have way more problems right, <laughs> than yo, your neighbor's you ex not paying child support. Right. What got me, though, especially, is the saying, they were like, people are good neighbors. And I'm like, oh, honey, some are. Don't get me wrong. But not all neighbors in general. Not even, not all people. You don't always want to trust everyone. But here she is. Mm-hmm. She's like, people are good here. The people mm-hmm. are good. What what this episode shows is the fallacy of stranger danger. Oh yes, that definitely. I need it. I literally need a t shirt with like a bloody <laughs> knife on it that oh says gosh. nothing like this ever happens here. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> that's like they always at the beginning of every true crime documentary. They're like. <laughs> She was the most sweet person. Everyone loved her. Not an enemy in yep. sight. This was the quietest town. You couldn't even it hear It was a footsteps. small town. There was nothing bad ever people happened People only here. laughed and drank tea. Yes. Yeah. Until that's where people die. this day. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Come on now, guys. Yes. Be smart. Be smart. Yes. Any, it could happen anywhere at any time. It happens. Mm-hmm. It's real life. And in the middle of them talking, the foster children come home and Skylar Nelson. So the foster children are Sean and David Cook and Skylar Nelson, Ellie and Edward Nelson's son, Mm -hmm. um, are come home to Margaret's house. Because they said the dad, um, the neighbor. Edward Nelson. Yes. He was like, hey. We got to go on a job. Yep. He's like pest control or something. Yes. And... (laughs) Yo, little <laughs> Paul Butcher, mm-hmm. little Dustin from Zoe 101, and he's incredibly hot now. Okay. Like, who <laughs> even are you? What so, is, what are in that water? Like, the- Nani, who said you could be, you glue up. I have no words. I have all the words and no words. So, hello. Or- Let me translate. So... <laughs> Sean Cook is the youngest foster boy, and his character is played mm-hmm. by Paul Butcher. Yep. Paul Butcher is now 26 years old, but how me and Panda remember him was as the little brother, Dustin Brooks, on Zoe 101, 101, which is a Nickelodeon TV show in the early 2000s. Yep. Also has Jamie Lynn Spears, Brittany, Lynn, Brittany Spears' little sister. Brittany Spears' little sister, yep. Yes. And so now Yo. Paul Butcher is a smoke show and he's on TikTok. The glow up is real. And it makes me feel very strange because when I, I watched the show, I was only a few years younger than him. So we were like, oh, so he should have been just a baby. And he stays a baby in our mind. We were like, he's a baby, but in reality, we were younger than him. Yeah, yeah. And now we're like uncomfortable because i'm like oh it feels illegal to be yes to be looking at him this way yes. but i'm like no it's safe yes it's totally safe there's also that syndrome also on tiktok when they talk about prince zuko on avatar mm-hmm. last airbender obviously because there's a part where because 
I believe he's, like, supposed to be 16 around that time. Oh, no. So it's like when oh, you're no, young no, no, and you're no. watching it, you're like, oh, he's he's older. How cute. And then when you turn, like, around 16, you're like, oh, we the same age. Then you get past that and you're like, ooh, greater rabbit. I kind of had that moment, but with Arthur, but not in, not in like, sexual tension kind of way. Arthur. Like, like the TV show, the oh cartoon. God, I remember watching it. And being younger than him and being like, man, I can't wait till I'm in the second, or is it the third grade? I don't I think remember, he, he's in the second honest. or third grade. And I was so pumped. And then I got to the second or third grade and then I passed and I was like, geez, when is Arthur gonna freaking graduate <laughs> to the next grade? I feel like this is a common thing too. Like even with stars that we would see that are younger like, you know, the child actors, and mm-hmm. we'd, we would watch them growing up, and we'd be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to stay a kid forever. And then mm-hmm. we see them now, we're like, yo, like Madison Pettis. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, uh, hello? I who, think the thing even? is, whatever you had your first and biggest impression of that person mm-hmm. or character they or celebrity, like that forever they stay like brain. that in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, Harrison Ford, like, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, he like, that's how he like exists that. in my brain. I don't blame he you. He doesn't age. If you guys haven't gotten the hint, Pig is very much all for Harrison Ford. Oh, no, I hate that guy. I can't stand him. <laughs> she can't. She, she can't stand him. What you mean? Yeah, which is why I'm going to marry him to prove everyone that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a stronger, bigger person. I'll take the oh, I'll God. take one for the team. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh. Back to Bones. <laughs> Back to Bones. So, but I love Booth, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love Booth. But what was interesting to me I, when, you know, they said the game was broken, he said he was going to go fix it. Oh, well, no, hold on. I had a thought before that. Oh, you had a thought. All right, so, go ahead. this part was so cringe to me when Skylar looked. Uh. So, Skylar and them, they come back. This is the neighbor's son. Neighbor's son. Booth is in the middle of talking to Ellie Nelson and Margaret Sanders. And Skylar's like, are you guys going to figure it out? And um, Booth is like, I'm in the FBI. We always figure it out. (laughs) Are you sure it was Skylar? I could have sworn it was David who said that. Oh, yes, it it was was David who said that. It was the older foster son Mm -hmm. um, from Margaret's side. But when Booth said that, I was like, ugh, that was so cringy. But if you look at Skylar's reaction, Mm -hmm. they're so subtle with showing that this kid is troubled. He, like, rolls his eyes. Mm -hmm. Because clearly this kid is suffering and nobody sees it and nobody cares. Yep. And it's really, ugh. Yeah. Because, yeah. But... I love Booth here, but I found it interesting because it's just like when Booth offered to fix their game, I was like, yo, you're really going to let this FBI agent march around and help your kids? Like, is this real life? Remember, it's a safe neighborhood. <laughs> Shut up. It's a safe neighborhood, okay? People are good. People, People are, are good, good there. People are good there. But I mean, he is good. But still, that's not my point, guys. Don't trust everyone. Like, come on now. Yeah, they kind of they kind of flip flop with that scene with going back to the lab, so we kind of include that all together. Yeah. So after they're <clears throat> whilst they're interviewing the Sanders family, mm-hmm. they go back to the lab again, and Doctor Goodman basically summons the squints to attend a banquet for the Jeffersonian donors, and everyone doesn't want to go. Nope. But they're being forced by Dr. Goodman to attend, but Hodgins is defiant. He's like, nope, not going. Nope. 
nope <laughs> nope but don't you just love the responses like you have angela going i got a date he goes you don't even know when it is <laughs> or zach who has the best one he's like so what kind of food will be there like it's, it's honestly the most important question yes. as to whether i would attend an event i mean i may not always want to go but boy if you got some food for me ready to go i'd be willing to come through don't get me wrong mm-hmm. i would come You got some good food. Mm -hmm. Chef's kiss. I'll come. (laughs) And the underlining point of this episode as well is we already know that Bones is rich, but we figure out that Hodgins is like rich, rich. Yeah, he got money, mm -hmm. money. And that's why he doesn't want to show up. Nope. But nobody else knows that. They won't find out till later. But But also, it doesn't, but like, (laughs) it doesn't seem like Dr. Goodman knows either. Nope. You would think he would know, considering he's the boss and you have to look at people's files. Or maybe people could put that two and two together. They literally just talk about, you know, the Cavaliers. The Cantilevers. Cantilevers. <laughs> Not Cavaliers. Cantilevers. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you get my point though, where I'm just like, you would think Dr. Goodman would know. He is the boss, man. Right. And we're also introduced to um, Hodgins' anger management issues yeah. as he wears a rubber band around his wrist. And snaps himself oh, uh, yeah. when he feels anger. And it's funny because Angela catches that and she addresses mm-hmm. him later. But with Dr. Goodman, it's it's a shame that he doesn't stay. Like, I love Camp. I love her mm-hmm. to pieces. Don't get me wrong. She's a character later that you guys see. Those of you who have not watched Bones yet. But mm-hmm. I, I love Dr. Goodman. I think he's a great boss. And he really does bring in that authority figure mm-hmm. considering it's a museum <laughs> yes but then when he goes it's like okay it's not really a museum anymore it's yeah a it, lab. Feels, it feels more like a crime lab yes and it's like oh they're still the jeffersonian but now they're a crime lab no I more feel. museum as much only sometimes we dabble with the museum i will die on this hill that cam should have been an addition and not a replacement yes she should have been added i feel like it would have been good but you know maybe Dr. Goodman's actor didn't want to stay, and that's I don't okay. know. That, that, that's okay, I guess. But I will, I will die for that man. <laughs> he, actor he's so and majestic. character. He's so majestic. He's he's beautiful, man. <laughs> but yeah, so then we talk about how you know Bones has to help Zach. Yeah, yeah, Zach's warming up the boiler to clean the bones, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of talk about decompartmentalizing their work because Bones can see that Zach is really affected yeah. by this particular case. Because he's so small and little mm-hmm. and just, he was young. But here's the, here's the bone that I have to pick with this scene. Did you say the bone? I did to- and I do it again. Oh my gosh. Why are <laughs> okay. you like this? <laughs> so so Zach's warming at the boiler to clean the bones. Bone mm-hmm. sees that he's clearly upset. Yes. And she asks him if something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Zach tells her that these are the smallest remains that he's ever worked on. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's a good observation, but it's not pertinent to the investigation. And Zach apologizes like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have emotions. <laughs> like, dude, you asked him if something Yo. is wrong. I'm sorry <laughs> that my emotions that you asked about aren't pertinent to the investigation. It's like, excuse me, my bad. <laughs> like, like, you're the one who, like, okay. Bones does this sometimes where they 
you can tell they want to be purposeful with the scene and convey a message. Yes. So they will have one character initiate a conversation with the other about the topic. Yeah. But then at at some point, one of the characters (laughs) is like, all right, well, let's get back to the case or I don't want to talk about this anymore. But they're the ones who initiated it. Right. And that kind of happened here. But, you know, I... I'm still okay with the rest of it. <laughs> like, if you take that part out, <clears throat> I'm actually okay with, like, how yes. she how yes. she approached it. Because when it comes to her and Zach, you know, people don't understand them and the yes. way they talk. And I just feel like she's a really good mentor to Zach. Mentor to Zach in general. Yes. Because it's like, you see how she really tries to talk to him and give him tips. Like, you know, putting your heart in a box or focus on the details, or don't refer to the victim by name, you know, if the case is too heavy to handle. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was, those were really some good pointers for him. They're good pointers. Mm -hmm. And revealing as to how she deals with her emotions. Yes. And And why she is the way she is. And why she's good at what she does. Because it's not an easy job. (laughs) She tries to connect with him by mentioning that she was at the Waco siege mm-hmm. and identified bodies of young children. Yeah. Um, this show is notorious for continuity issues. And in later episodes, they say that she was born in 1976. The Waco siege happened in 1993. So she would have been 17 at the time. What? So probably not. Do you know what the Waco siege is? Nope. Okay. So luckily for you, I stole a blurb from Wikipedia. Okay. Okay. So this is big stuff. This is cult stuff. Cult stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those of you who don't know what the Waco Siege is, I'm just going to give you the brief rundown. And if you want to look into it later, or maybe we cover it in another what episode. What were the years again? Like, it happened what year? 1993. And she was how old? Like, what year was she born? Supposedly, she was born in 1976. Interesting. Supposedly. I mean, maybe she started when she was young. You never know. Maybe she graduated early. But, like, with your PhD? Mm, She could have been an intern. But also, don't we remember that she was in foster care until she was 16 or something? That's what I mean. It's like, maybe she interned at 17. Well, you wouldn't be an intern at the Waco siege. True. I'm telling you. This was big stuff. You would have not been an intern and... Well, tell me about the Waco thing so that way okay, I can okay. understand Sorry. what in the world this means. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. No, you're good. So I was it's also to the numbers. It's also known as, as the <clears throat> excuse me. Words. <laughs> <laughs> it's also known as the Waco Massacre. So it okay. has to do with the branch. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Are you dying? I need to drink some water. Hold on. Drink the aqua. Absorb the fluids. I don't <laughs> God. Okay, I'm okay now. Okay. Alrighty. So, uh, the Branch Davidians were a religious doomsday cult. Um, they were an offshoot of a seventh Seventh Day Adventist offshoot. I feel like I may of know what this is. Actually, keep yeah. going. I might okay. know what you're talking about. Okay, so it was led by David Koresh. Okay, at Mount Carmel Center Ranch Carmel in Center. the community of Axel, Texas. Okay. So on February twenty eighth, um, oh, I think my dates may be weird here, but oh, anyways, okay. nineteen ninety three, the government led a siege 
Oh, yes, I'm correct. So between February 28th and April 19th, 1993, so 51 days, okay. the government led a siege on the compound, which it was suspected that they were stockpiling illegal weapons. 51 days? Mm-hmm. March 28th to April? Don't start talking about numbers. You're going to get us off track. Okay, go on. <laughs> so It didn't seem right. Okay, whatever. Go on. Mm-hmm. So... Blame Wikipedia. Anyways, it's 1993, okay? Okay, whatever. And they think that the Branch Davidians are stockpiling illegal weapons. So the ATF tries to serve a search warrant. Gunfire breaks out. People die. Four government agents, six Branch Davidians. And basically, the standoff lasts 51 days until the FBI launches an assault with tear gas. Yo. Ultimately, the Mount Carmel Center catches on fire. The oh, fire. No, the Carmel caught on fire. <laughs> the, the fire results in the deaths of 76 Branch Davidians, including 25 children, two pregnant women, oh, and David so Crush himself. Wow, that's sad. The Branch Davidians, it's a lot of stuff to look into, but basically they're a doomsday cult, which means they're preparing for the end of the world, the apocalypse, so that that breeds for a very toxic community. That's so sad, though. Still, they died. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Dang. But, okay, so that kind of makes sense for, it'd be very strange for 70-year-old bones to be at this. Okay. I mean, all right. But in in the in the suspension of disbelief in this bubble where she's trying to connect with Zach in a world where she was at the Waco siege mm-hmm. and would have had to deal with that, that would be immense carnage yeah. to have witnessed. Yikes. And would explain a lot about how she deals with what she sees. Well, I mean... The tip that she gave Tim, or she was like, did you smell Charlie's mouth? Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't say Charlie, obviously. She but said the victim. The victim's or- mouth. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's strange to do. But I get what she was trying to do. And I guess kind of based on your story, I guess that's kind of where she got that from, I'm assuming. Potentially. It's possible. You did talk about, was it tear gas? Yeah. Yeah, so it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I mean... I, mm. I'm i not a scientist, but you know what? I'm not going to knock that theory. Thank you. Thank You're you for welcome. accepting my theory. I'm here to support you. Oh, okay. I Good. appreciate you. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate you, too. <laughs> so then we move on. <laughs> so, um, so we flip-flap. Flip- flip- <laughs> <laughs> oh, flip- my God. I'm going to flip-flap <laughs> We flip-flop back to the Sanders home, okay? Are you going to be okay? No, because I'm thinking of the shoes, like, flip-flop. You're going to put me in a home. Okay, go on, go Get serious. I'm not good at that. Okay, so back at the Sanders home. Okay. Booth found out, back when they were playing video games, that David's got a girlfriend. Yes, yes, yes. And he uses that information to basically find out that the boys They went, went to the, the mall, mall. Mm-hmm. on the day they were supposed to be at the park. Yep. And that Charlie took, um, Sean took Charlie to the mall to meet up with David on the day he went missing. 
Yeah, which is, yeah, that sucks. So but. now they determine that Charlie went missing around the mall, which makes yeah. sense. And it made sense because, you know, they talked about it. But in the scene before that, because they kind of went back and forth, you know. Yes. Flip flap, flip flop. <laughs> so if you notice, Booth is acting like such a dad. Like he's just hanging out. He's Daddy. asking about girlfriends and calling them puny, puny mortals to challenge him in video games after, like, you know, he fixed the controller. You know, so simple to fix. Even, yeah, even <laughs> though he's playing a video game that's not compatible with the controller, but that's here nor there. So, but I was just like, wow, interesting tactic. You know, he got David to talk later about how they went missing. So I was just like, wow, interesting. Is that like a common thing? Do you believe that's a common thing that, you know, law enforcement does? Well, um, do you mean by like video games? No, not playing video games. <laughs> like, kind of like, you know, being buddy-buddy with like yes, when it comes to absolutely. younger kids, especially like, Ab- kids specifically, you know? So when you're... It's tough because there's a lot of different views and interpretations of law enforcement depending on people's interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, in cases like this or investigations, a lot of the time you're going to go with you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. What the hell does that mean? It means that you're going to get more information if you're if not you're a dick. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Okay, that makes sense to me. So if you're dealing with kids, right? Mm -hmm. Think of yourself when you were this age. If someone came up to you and was like... Interrogating me, I would not want to talk to you. And these are also foster kids, okay? So they don't give background to what they've been through. But being a foster kid, you go through a lot and you have a lot of trust issues. Yeah. So Booth is being more hands-off and neutral to try to show him that he's not a threat. That makes sense. Uh Okay, cool. Just wanted to Mm -hmm. confirm that because I'm like, I wonder if that was a tactic. It it was definitely a tactic. (laughs) What was getting me, though, too, is like when he was like, you know, the name's David. I'm like, David. David Boreanaz is right next to you. But your character's name name is David. David. My name is David. David. You're David. I'm David. This is Patrick. Goodbye, Patrick. So oh, then we God. go back to the lab. Back to the lab. Okay. So Hodgins <laughs> finds out that the chemicals around Charlie's mouth were halogens. He's talking to Angela. Mm-hmm. Angela's trying to figure out why he doesn't want to go to the banquet. You know. Yeah, but she actually... Yeah, she does. She tries to figure out. She just kind of messes with him. You know, mm-hmm. she starts, like, pulling on his rubber band to get his attention. She's, like, confirming his anger management. <clears throat> and what got me is, like, um, because she basically talked about, was it, he said he was angry or something, and she just brought up how anger is only fear turned inwards. Mm-hmm. And all I thought of was, Master Yoda, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And I was telling Pig earlier, I was like, you know, I had this phrase stuck in my head earlier. And I believe that is my road rage origin. I have mm. quite road rage. And I'm more than positive it started because I had a fear for driving. I don't mind now, but now I just get angry. So, you know, like <laughs> now I suffer. <laughs> you know, like in episodes of The Maury Show, when the unfavorable guest walks out mm. and they're yelling at the audience expletives, and you can only hear every other word because every single word is bleeped out yeah like that's the audio track 
to your road rage. <laughs> like, that's what it sounds like being in the car with you <laughs> when you have road rage. Well, your favorite part is when I just <clears throat> go back to the conversation as if nothing happened. Yes. Yes. It's a little, um, it's <laughs> a little jarring, but I've learned to live with it. She says it's colorful. It is colorful. <laughs> it's the freaking rainbow. Delicious. <laughs> so then from that scene, they go to Angela and Booth and Bones looking at security footage. At the mall. Mm-hmm. Angela basically proves that she's a covert squint. She's a tech genius. By, by <laughs> utilizing her um, camera software mm-hmm. to search the footage for different body types to see if they can find Charlie. Yeah. I just found it interesting because Booth was like, what? He's never seen this type of technique. And I just found it funny because it's like, oh, wow, even the FBI doesn't have this technique. Like, granted, you know, different time, era, I -hmm. get it, early 2000s. But still, I was like, interesting. She surpassed the FBI. You know, right. again, here, here, they're taking shots again. My, my main complaint is that 16 years later, uh, surveillance camera footage has not improved one iota. <laughs> that it's still just as crummy as it was That's back sucks. then. That's like, to make it make sense. Make it make sense to make me. Make it make sense? I, I think not. Let's never make it make sense. And at this point, so they're... They're looking at it, and Angela kind of gives it gets introspective, mm-hmm. where she's like, um, that this might be the only the the last images of Charlie alive. Yeah, and I feel like Angela's kind of the voice that the uh, voice of the audience at times. Yeah, where I agree. she where just mm. she brings up points that sometimes you don't really think about because you're so into the episode, and then you're like, oh my god, you're right. Yes. Definitely happened. And I was like, man, this is so sad. I mean, it's interesting because I even connected with it when I recently just watched it now because of, you know, my favorite K-pop star, Jung Hyun, when he died, they had like a footage of like the last footage of him was at the gas station. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, this is probably like the last, you know, evidence of him alive. And And it was so sad. But... Something. Rip Jung, Rip Jung Kim Rip Kim Jong R.I.P. From Shiny. Forever my bias. Forever and ever. But what I was saying is that um, I found it interesting that you notice when Booth says to Angela, he's like, wow, she, after, um, you know, she basically changed as a person after getting that job. Mm-hmm. Like, because he's like, oh, you became, because, you know, you talked about how she was a squint. And it's funny because it's like, oh, yeah, you're one of them, aren't you? Like, you're actually one of them. You you changed type of thing. And I was just like, kind of like, ouch. I don't think, and ouch. I think that's a misconception from him because I don't think she changed. She's obviously a complex person. Oh, yeah, and very. a lot of the times in the media, you never see the balance of an intelligent person who's also incredibly creative yes and artistic for real like a lot of the times you'll see people who are artists and you're like oh they're so smart to do their art but you never really see someone like angela where she has the capabilities to do such amazing art and also be really into computers and technology and while those people exist in real life you rarely see them represented on tv 
Which is why I really like Angela's character. She just seems the most relatable, especially if it was something like you're in this type of yeah. field and you have that type of mindset. And she shows you can be incredibly smart and still maintain social skills. Exactly. But I was just like, wow, Booth. That kind of hurts. Like, right? you could see it really took a toll on her to where she really thought about it later, like her and Bad his friend were talking. Bad, Bad Booth. Why would you do that? But, you know, it kind of also pointed out, like, even Booth talks about later, because I was, I, w- I agreed. I was very surprised. Like, she's <clears> been <throat> at the job as long as she has, and she even brings up, this is the longest job she's had, and it's because of Bones. Their friendship. Mm-hmm, their friendship, and she just did not know if... She could handle it anymore. Yeah. She starts to feel like she doesn't belong. Yeah. And when she says, like, she's trying, this is the part where you can tell she's kind of straddling in between these different worlds of, like, well, no, I'm supposed to, I'm the good time girl. Yeah. You know? I used to do this and mm-hmm. do all this fun stuff, and here I am. Mm-hmm. I. <laughs> I couldn't get over this serious moment. Like, I knew it was supposed to be serious, but sure, here she goes, I used to draw naked guys, and now I draw dead guys. And I'm like, they, they could have been naked, too. They're still naked. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. I love the part when she's like, I'm a good time girl, and Bones is like, ooh, but we have good times. <laughs> we do. Ooh, hearts. Ooh. But this, um, this episode shows how the job can affect people like yes. the suicide rates among people who work in the criminal justice system is really unfortunate no i did not know that yes i mean think about all this different stuff that they're seeing yeah the things that they're exposed to yeah. and in that world i mean i have definitely talked about it before just in general and common conversations i mm-hmm. never believe people especially young people should really be in this type of job field it's just it's a lot to handle and it takes a toll on your mental health so in a way it does not surprise me but it's really unfortunate because they're really exposed to the evils that the world presents and you can see the the thought process of how you're supposed to deal with it is yes. what bone says put your heart in a box mm-hmm. but as humans you can't put you shouldn't put your heart in a box yeah it's not healthy no not, so and you can't do it all the time 24 7 especially mm-hmm. if that's your job field you know nope and it affects you and as you see it we see it affect bones later on in life too yeah Oh heavy God. stuff. <laughs> it heavy is. Stuff. But you know, it was even had the beats. What was also heavy is the story that the mom, Margaret, told after we found out like Charlie was actually adopted. Yes. So how we figure that out <clears throat> in a brief interim is that Bones, Booth, and Zach, they're looking at the bones. Turns out Charlie has scoliosis and some sort of rare genetic disease that's passed down from mother to son mm-hmm. bone sees it doesn't it's not apparent that margaret has the same disease so she must not be his mother mm-hmm. so they pull her in to the fbi and they speak with her and get the details of how she came to be the guardian of charlie yeah um and they, even that story is still sad <laughs> I know. It's so rough. Like, here the kid already has problems, has scoliosis, and he has literally brittle bones from his condition, and then his childhood upbringing. Yes. Like, Basically. His, his mother was, like, a, a drug abuser, I believe. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. a drug addict. Yeah. And I don't remember. It was, like, this whole story about it. So basically what happens is, is that Margaret is a foster parent to Charlie when he's just 10 days old. Mm -hmm. She 
Um, he gets reunited with his with his biological mother as through the normal um, procedure of the courts. Yep. And Margaret remains in contact. She sends money. She buys gifts. She sends like formula because he is a baby. She's trying to be supportive mm-hmm. because of how much she cares. And she goes to visit one day. I think it was like Christmas Day, and Something finds like Charlie's mother dead on the floor with a um, needle in her mm-hmm. arm, and Charlie's crying. So she picks him up and in this tender moment, you know, promises never to leave him or abandon him because now that Charlie's mother is dead, he'd go back into the system. So she takes him as her own. And yep, and pretty much was like, you know, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to protect you. And that's why she is really beating herself up. She's like, I was supposed to keep him safe. I was going to keep him safe. He was going to be okay. And she feels like, you know, it's such Mm -hmm. a failure. And it was, it really... This episode, I'm telling y'all, it really hit us in the feels. I know. And even though, like, clearly she, her heart was in the right place wanting to care for Charlie and provide him a good life, it's scary how you can kidnap a child and convince the world that that child is your own. It's so simple. And so like, simply done. And no one was looking for him. No one found out. Like, it's just, it's all around horrifying. Yeah. Like, I mean, she even said she was waiting for Mm -hmm. them to discover her. And as much as they were like, oh, you know, you still did a good thing because you're a good parent. But at the same time, not all people are good parents. Mm -hmm. And that's really scary. Someone could just up and grab your kid. Bye. Mm -hmm. Straight out of your home. Murder you. Take your kids. Bye. Like, it's scary. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And my my other thought at this point, which is less... um, a little bit more, um, less emotional. Yeah. Uh, which is that they arrested Margaret for kidnapping. Yeah. And of course Bones gets emotional because she's just like, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? You know? So from a law enforcement perspective, they probably wouldn't have arrested her right then because Charlie's been murdered, clearly. Yeah. And they haven't solved that murder. They haven't connected her to his murder. Mm -hmm. So if she kidnapped him and Booth kind of expresses that she may have killed him, um, they wouldn't have arrested her at this point. They would have waited for more evidence so that they could arrest her on both charges, potentially. But what if, like, for for this instance, she wasn't the one? Would she still have gotten arrested? It's not likely um, because Charlie's passed and it doesn't seem as though Charlie has any extended family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it could. It all depends on what the prosecutor is willing to charge. So what people don't understand sometimes is that the police will find somebody's con- someone's committed a crime. They'll mm-hmm. see all of the elements of that crime and they'll right. arrest them. And from that point... It's the prosecutor's decision on whether to charge them with those crimes and move forward with those charges. Interesting. So if a prosecutor looks at this case, the police is like, okay, we've wrapped it up. Here's all the evidence. We believe he's committed these elements of the crime. Prosecutor takes a look at this and is like, Psh, I'm not going to take this to trial. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to touch this and drop the charges. So if, if a prosecutor believed that they could charge her with this and had enough evidence to do so i could see that they would interesting but i could also see a scenario where they wouldn't yeah it's interesting because it's just like wow i've <laughs> definitely movie magic them they just wanted to like be like hey 
let's piss off Bones and really see a reaction out of her just you, to see. They were definitely they, doing it for that. Yeah, because you obviously see later that Booth compensates and is like, look, I put them in a decent home right now for now mm-hmm. while this goes on. But it's nice because they lighten the mood and we get to find out. Hodgins is rich, rich. He mm-hmm. got the money, money. So this is when we find that part out. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, Hodgins and Angela are looking through her software program. Booth Zach comes and up. Hodgins. I mean, Zach and Angela are looking, yes. not Hodgins and Angela. Thank you. <laughs> Zach and Angela yes. discuss Hodgins in this scene. Yes. And Zach lives above Hodgins' garage. And she just asks for details. Mm-hmm. She's just like, so, you know, what, what's it like? Blah, blah, blah. And he's just casually talking. About mm-hmm. how rich he is, basically. Like, oh, you know, I never really gone to the main house, you know, <laughs> past the tennis court, past the pond, past the whatever. I can't. We must protect Zach at all costs. We really must. And then they talk about how many cars. He's like, eh, like 12, including mm-hmm. the antique ones or something. I'm like, yo. Yeah, we learned that he's the sole heir to the cantilever group. Not Cavaliers. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the very big, big money. Yes. Um, they were like, oh, he's the Hodgins of the cantilever group. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because <clears throat> it's Booth is the one who points that out. And that's when Angela puts it all together. And she's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're the single biggest donor to the Jeffersonian. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Which means that if Hodgins went to the banquet, all the rich people there would want to fawn over him. Yes. And he's like, nah, can't have that. And you could tell, like, "Mm mm-mm. No. So, yeah. Booth is, like, pointing that out. He's like, he's your boss. Hodgins is all of your boss. (laughs) Booth is, he's something else, isn't he? Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. (laughs) So then we go to Bones' office where she's talking to Hodgins, mm-hmm. and basically he susses out that she's writing a new book. Because I love how he can identify her face just her. based on her thinking face. He's just like, you're writing a new book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because she feels guilty because they bought her a new fancy car. Yep. what was that line that he says he basically says something about was it co co coercion co something yeah so that way they can just come together and basically just take a stand against them yeah something along those lines yeah where he's like he's like you don't write your book and i won't go to the banquet yes we'll we'll be in solidarity that's what yep exactly and it was so funny and then even booth comes in and Mm -hmm. he's being nosy about the notes for the book, he's just like looking around, like, "Huh, is yes. my name in here?" <laughs> yes, and he and he grabs um, bones to go. What are they going to go look at? Uh, I guess they want to go examine the remains again, or no? They went out, and then he interrogates Sean. I think. Yes, that's right. That's yeah, right. they went to interrogation room, I believe. Yes, so they go to the interrogation interrogation room booth is trying to connect with sean um to try to find out more information he kind of reveals a little bit about himself showing a scar that he got with his younger brother jared which yeah. who he becomes a care a reoccurring character later on in the show mm-hmm. booth's brother and yep. then you know charlie shows he's got some scars as uh, charlie sean shows that he has some scars of his own from <laughs> cigarette burns from his father yeah but he's still not budging and giving more information the um, damn prosecutor <laughs> behind the glass bones is with the juvenile prosecutor 
and Booth is interviewing Sean with the child advocate. And um, you can tell that the prosecutor is frustrated because she feels that Booth isn't being aggressive enough. And Bones takes offense, feeling as though they're violating Sean's rights or they're not really looking <laughs> into <laughs> looking into his interests. And yeah. what this part kind of reminds me of is that um, Bones cares about the truth. Oh, yeah. And it makes me think of the last episode, A Boy in a Tree, where everybody is trying to force Bones to make a decision. Last is episode it wasn't The Boy in the Tree. Last episode was The Man and the Bear, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yes. The episode before that. So episode three. three. Yeah. Three, A Boy in a Tree, mm-hmm. where everyone's trying to pull Bones in different directions. They're like, Bones, you need to say this is a suicide. Bones, you need to say this is a murder. And Bones Here, is like, I care again. about the truth. Because that's respectful to the victim. And that's what I see here, too, is that the prosecutor is like, what side are you on? And Bones is like, I'm on the side of the truth. You could also see, like, you know, she's very much not only for the truth, but she feels personally offended for the kid because he is literally a part of the foster care system. And so was she, which obviously we find out later, but you could see, like, you know, she takes full offense to that, like, as if, like, they're all, they all feel the same thing. So she's just like, what the hell? You guys need to advocate for this child. Like, you can't expect Booth to just keep forcing answers out of him. He's still a kid. He's been through enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Correct. Like, you guys treat them like garbage. Yes. Yeah. yeah I agree sucks. with you. But uh, <laughs> it's funny because, like, the way how they introduce, like, the way how Booth makes it known to Sean, like, hey, we know you took Charlie to the mall. He was like, here comes movie magic again. They took a picture mm. from earlier. It's supposed to be a reflection through a glass door at the mall, and you see Sean's face. And I'm like, that movie magic, y'all made that crystal clear. But how are you going to tell me that that is him leading charlie out of the mall when it's just his face well the the picture is them in the reflection of the exit doors at the mall yeah but he's not like pulling him out he's just saying leading charlie out of the mall i think they're interpreting that because charlie uh, because um Sean. sean was the one who took charlie with him to the mall in the first place so if charlie's going anywhere it's probably because he's following Sean, Sean, because Sean's older. I mean, it makes sense. It's just, it's just based off of this picture that was right. made for the movie Magic. I just found it interesting. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Technically, mm-hmm. you can't prove that he's leading him. Unless anywhere. they showed like the footage. You know, they had the footage. They could have mm-hmm. showed that, but instead they're like, "Look at your face. We found it in a reflection through a glass door." Yeah, and Sean is not impressed. He's just <laughs> not paying attention. He's drawing on the table with water, and I was like, "That's like a classic kid thing." Like, I mean, I used to kind of do that, but I did that with like Elmer's glue. Mm-hmm. I would put like a little daub of it on my table and I'd just let it dry on my desk or something or inside my desk, just let it dry, make little dots around. That mm-hmm. was my kid thing habit I did. Aww, so cute. <laughs> Not really, it was weird. Nah, you cute. You cute girl. I see it. <laughs> then we moved on and to so, Angela confronting Hodgins. Yeah, she basically confronts him that, he's, that she knows he's wealthy 
and he's increasingly getting upset. Yeah. Um, Bones arrives as Angela's leaving, and she kind of incidentally reveals that Angela's having second thoughts about working at the Jeffersonian. Jeffersonian. I can't talk. You know this. (laughs) It's okay. And (laughs) Hodgins is, you could tell he's kind of caught off guard where he's like, oh, I didn't know she's feeling this way because this whole episode, she's been reaching out to him, trying to suss out how he's feeling and Mm -hmm. what's going on with him. But he hasn't been thinking about her. No. Until this moment because, okay, so when you first see them, you know, she starts talking. I'm like, how, like, how, we've been, we've known each other for a long time. You know, we've been working together. Mm -hmm. You know, do we really know each other? Like, what got me is she was like, so how come you never invited me to your house? And he gives her, like, this look. He looks up for now. He's like, well, he's like, I didn't pick that type of vibe up from you. Like, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but I was like, wow, okay. But he did snap at Angela. Yes. When she did kind of was like, oh, we know. We know that you have money, money. Mm-hmm. And he got upset. And I was like, you didn't really need to snap at her. But, I mean, it's a good thing she walked away. You know, she was being pretty nosy. Thus the anger management bracelet. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, they bring, it up, they bring it up later, though, where it really shows that he really loves his position. Just being yeah. a plain dude. Just being plain Jack Hodgins. You know, just yeah. working there. This, yeah. This yeah, scene kind of leads in that because Booth comes to grab Brennan to mm-hmm. Bones to um go back and look at the stuff yep and um that's when they learn about like how there's another way for um charlie's bones to break oh yes so they figure out there's another way for charlie's bones to break from compression instead of blunt force trauma because he has brittle bones because so they thought it'd be bones. so easy for him to break his bones yes. in two ways but they realize oh compression yep and as they're leading out of the bone room to go to the Angelinator, Hodgins stops Booth and Angela to confront them and is like, look, I know you guys know, but you can't tell anybody. I just want to be Jack Hodgins who works at the lab. Like, let me be me. Let mm-hmm. me enjoy my time here. Let me just be myself here and be who I am here. You could tell he doesn't want to be have that responsibility, you yes. know, of single, literally hold, single-handedly holding this much money over people, being the boss man he is. But he's like, no, I want to be a plain dude. I just want to be Jack Hodgins. Let me chill with my bugs. This is why I love Hodgins. He's like the humble rich man. <laughs> like, I think that we root for him because, like, there are rich people who are, like, rich, but then yeah. there are rich people who happen to be rich. Yes, And there are a few times in the show where Hodgins, like, he uses his wealth, but it's never necessarily for his personal benefit. It's always for the joy of others. Like, we see he's just this generous person who Who happens to be rich. And just has has his problems. But he's a normal dude, and he just happens to be rich. Yes. And some... Oh, yeah. No, I just wanted to bring up back to before the compression of, like, we saw the breaking of the pencil. Something I wanted to talk about was Booth... When he walks in, you know, you could tell he, because he was like, oh, look, I put the kids in a foster home, like a, like a safe space or whatever for them to be taken care of for now, like temporary care. Mm -hmm. And you could just see that he even talked to Bones, like he, you could tell he's triggered 
about mm. how she feels and acts and he's literally her work husband because he genuinely cares about how she feels because it affects their dynamic duo vibes yes. like he's just like I care about what you think, basically. And if you don't like what I do, you know, you need to talk to me or you can't act this way. It's going to be hard for us to work together, basically. Yeah, you can tell he really, they both really care about what each other thinks, but in very indirect ways. Yes, like they value each other's input and and, it's very sweet. And when she says that, like, if I can't respect the law, at least I can respect you. You can see he takes that to heart. Like, like, at oh. that point, he didn't really care about anything else. He yes. was just like, oh, you'll respect at least me? Mm-hmm. Little old me? Little old me? Like, his heart, you see his face just kind of light up like, oh, oh, okay, I can <laughs> take that. I accept that. <laughs> yes. I but, agree with you. <laughs> but so that after Hodgins talks to them after they leave the bone room. Oh, one other thought that I think is weird. What else did you About have? Hodgins. What? Is like, you know how he's supposed to be this like kooky conspiracy theorist? Yeah. And like nobody believes him. They're like, oh, that's just, that's just Jack Hodgins. But like, he's one of the richest people in the world. So don't you think he would know the truth about, like, these secret societies and different stuff like that? I feel like he would, but at the same time, I feel like it's the whole everything keeps counters and he doesn't have complete access. Right. Like, he's rich, but is he richer than Bill Gates? Mm, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. True. You know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. But leading them to the Angelator... <laughs> I found it interesting that Angela apologized when she saw the simulation for the chest being cracked. And I was like, I don't think you needed to apologize. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to be human. Even Bones looks like she's about to cry. Yeah, and Booth was just like, damn, like, seriously? Yes. Like, it was, it affected all of them. Like, they're just like, wow, this is how this kid died. He got crushed, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. Heartbreaking. But, but at least what kind of lightened it up a little bit was like Booth, because Angela talks about the weight of the man in kilograms. Yes, I noticed <laughs> this part too. <laughs> Booth is like, so what's that in American? Same. Like, I'm like, same Booth, same, because in America, it's pounds, not kilograms. Yeah, we use the imperial system. Yes. Instead of the metric system. I believe Which, so. like, I understand that the metric system, like, clearly makes more sense on paper but that's but not the imperial how it system <laughs> it just makes sense to me i'm like okay that i hear that like trying to tell somebody their height in meters or centimeters it, it just, just sounds so, so obnoxious instead of saying you're this many feet and this many inches instead like for of some saying, reason six feet feels homey five feet feels homey but they're one and a half meters tall i'm like is that like a little leprechaun or something <laughs> like i have to use my brain yeah, I don't like to do that. I feel like you have to be raised with it to understand how it goes. Yeah, let's go, let's re- redo. Redo, let's go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> so, then we move <clears throat> on, because they realize, like, after they realize it was an adult who crushed Charlie's chest, they realize the only one they could really get the information from is Sean. Mm-hmm. So, Bones is, like, insisting to Booth, like, hey, I want to talk to Sean. And Booth is like, yo, no, 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 no. Like, you are not a people person. This is not your strong suit. And children, mm-mm-mm. Right. But she's like, like, when's the last time me. you talked to a child? Right. But she's just like, you know, trust me. Let me do it, basically. Right. And, I mean, he does it. Again, he values what she says. And if she wants to go with it, 
He does. Mm-hmm. And she pulls through. Yep. So they end up in the interrogation room. Yep. I believe. And she, yes. she connects with Sean. Yes. Kind of in a, indirectly alluding to the fact that she was in the system as well. Mm-hmm. And they connect over that. And Sean reveals to her who the killer was because Bones promises that her friend at the FBI is going to make sure that Sean and David can stay with Margaret. Yes. And, of course, I get this scene is emotional. I got emotional. I was, you know, I was even, I even had a victory when I was getting all emotional. I'm all sad. I was like, hallelujah. I'm crying while celebrating. But, of course, the thought still came across. I was like... Paul Butcher went from this cute-ass little boy to being a <laughs> fine-ass man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. We appreciate you, Mr. Butcher. We do. You didn't have to do us all like that. You didn't have to glow up like we that. We weren't Who prepared. said you could do that? Ain't nobody said you could do it, but yeah. you did. Where was and the permission? Okay. It was not. Defiantly glowed up. Facts. We're just like, yo, who even are you? I know. I can't get it. I need that water, yo. Where's this water? (laughs) I'm sorry. You're really, you're really thirsty over there. You're looking parched. It's okay. It seems like we all are. (laughs) Look at that TikTok, dude. Everyone be thirsting. (laughs) So then we move on because we found out, you know, Edward Oh, hold on. I did have a thought. You had a thought? What was your thought? So, um, the child advocate says that Bones can't make promises like that. Yeah. The way she promises that the um, FBI will make sure Sean and David stay with Margaret. Can she do it then? So technically, during an investigation, I don't know if this extends to consultants, Mm -hmm. but in particular officers, they can lie during an interrogation to a certain extent. They can lie by saying, for example, if they're interrogating Sean, say, Mm -hmm. look, we've we've got your DNA around Charlie's neck. Oh, wow. They can lie and they can say that. But they can't make promises of leniency or violate their rights. Like, they can't say, we're not going to give you a lawyer. They can't say, oh, yeah, we're going to make sure that you just get probation. So there are certain extents. I don't know if that applies to Bones in this scenario, considering Mm -hmm. she's not a police officer. Right. As well as... I mean, I don't even know if she could even talk to him in the first place to interrogate him, considering she's the consultant. I don't know. I'm not a cop. And and when <laughs> I when I provide these points of views, I am not an expert. Mm-hmm. I am not a law enforcement she's officer. She's just Pigapedia. I'm just somebody so who's interested in this, researched it, and mm-hmm. providing a point of view. Mm-hmm. But if I say something that you know is incorrect or whatever, let us know. Yeah. We are know. open to it. So I'm not an expert. We're not perfect, but we'd be trying to do our <laughs> best to give decent content. So I don't even, I don't know if foster care would even allow them to necessarily go back to Margaret, considering the situation. Yeah. But... Technically, it could be either way. She could make those lies. She could not. I don't have a definitive answer. Yeah. But the thing I did want to point out was that technically officers can lie during an interrogation. Yeah. That's still crazy. So Sean tells Bones that... It was Edward Nelson. Yep. The next door neighbor. And this... (sighs) Creepy ass son of a bitch neighbor, dude. Like... They roll up to the house... 
where it looks like Edward Nelson and his son are about to go out on a job. Yeah, they're pest control, like we said. And they arrest him. And did you notice that Edward never has a speaking line in he the never entire talks. episode? He just stares. And his name tag says Hank. Yo, I didn't even notice that. His name tag says Hank, but his name is Edward. Edward That's Hank is, isn't even his last name. I wonder, because I feel like I've seen this before, where I used to work at places, and people had these name tags, and they both had the same name, and I'm like, are they the same name? Like, they were maintenance people in, at the mm. job, and I was like, do they have the same name, or is that the name of, the, like, the company that's, like, embroidered on the thing? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell, so that's kind of what made me think of, I'm like, oh no, maybe it's the company that made it, it's a Hank suit. <laughs> Maybe, but you also see Booth go right into giving him his Miranda warning, which we know he would not do. Mm-mm. He would just arrest him. Movie magic, movie magic. But the 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 piece of crap gets arrested. And the thing that makes me sad about this scene Why? is that you see um, Edward being arrested, and you see Skylar comforting his mom Ellie. Yeah, and to me, this just shows that. How he's even, even though he's a probable victim yeah. of his father, like they suspect that his father abused him. Yeah. His first instinct is to comfort the one who should have been protecting and comforting him, his yeah. mother. And it's so crazy to me that this can go on in someone's home and like a parent doesn't know. But I know this happens a <laughs> yeah. lot. I mean, and, this is why, because I was, I even told Pig, like, when I saw the scene, I'm like, you know what this reminds me of? Because it's the same thing. Neighbor. It reminds me of this film that Pig actually introduced me to. It's on Netflix. It's called Abducted in Plain Sight, where the man befriended this mom at church. And it was he's actually the neighbor. And the mm-hmm. families grew close. And the man was preying on their daughter over a span of many years. And, and messing like, with the parents, and too. And messing with the parents. It's like, it's a bananas documentary, mm-hmm. Abducted in Plain Sight. It's on Netflix. It's, it's horrifying. Yes. Like, you could not even believe. I was lost for words. But the whole concept of, like, it was the neighbor, it really reminded me of that. I was like, yeah, that's literally how, that's how simple it is. It could be your neighbor. Yeah, dismantling the idea of stranger danger. I mean, obviously, All strangers are good. <laughs> strangers can be dangerous, but oftentimes people are victimized by those that they know, mm-hmm. close family, friends, even those that they love. Some which sort is of connection. Scary. They don't always pick the most random ones. It's always someone close to you mm-hmm. who's been watching you. Yep. Scary. And so after they arrest him, you get a little montage of everybody, but mm-hmm. you see Booth. Um, meet Bones in her office to let her know that they've got it's a done deal. They know that it's Edward Nelson. They figured out the insecticide mm-hmm. is the same chemical they found on Charlie's face. Yeah. Which is and, and Bones reveals to Booth that she was in foster care well, well, he kind of figured it out based on that, and then right. he kind he tried to dig more, and she was like, "I'll let you know when I'm ready." Basically, but also she's like, her grandfather got her out of foster care. I don't remember them ever mentioning her grandfather ever I again. Don't either. <laughs> I think they might have changed that. To be honest, come on, Bones, you're better than this. <sighs> the budget, yo, budget. 
but going back to what I said, like, literally, they really care about what each other says. As mm-hmm. You see when Bone sells boo, she goes, I didn't park in an angle like you said, and now there's a ding in my door. <laughs> and he just starts dying. He's like, sorry. Yeah. Not bad. But you could see, like, you know, they really care about what each other says. Like, they really listen to each other, and whatever they say, they just value it. Like, she I care about so what much. you say. You matter. I trust you. You know? Yeah. Even though the people who gave her the car told her, hey, you need to park this car this certain way, Booth says something, and, and she, she just, just trusts it. it. She ran with it. She's like, I trust you over the people I bought this car from. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But, so then now you see everyone's preparing to go to the banquet. Mm-hmm. And Hodgins is just not having it, dude. He does not want to go. Nope. Even Zach is just like, what do we do? And then you have Angela. She's just, like, talking about how she just hates her job. I don't even remember all the words she said. She was just like, how much she feels like she draws death masks for people. Mm -hmm. And what I got from that, though, is I was just like, you love the way Dr. Goodman explains to Angela how she gives victims back their faces, their identities. For me, I was sitting there, I'm like, this is like a Mufasa moment. Because Dr. G is a G, okay? Mm, Yes. Fight me on this. He's so classy. He was so majestic, dude. He was he was so majestic, so much grace. In Zach's delivery of the line, where everyone's like, "What's why is Angela hugging Doctor Goodman? Why is she crying?" And Zach's like, "Apparently, all Angela needed to hear was her job description in a deep, deep African American tone." tone. <laughs> oh I that. I was like, "Oh my gosh, classic Zach!" But it literally pointed out my thoughts. Where I was like. I'm not crazy. Mufasa? Majestic? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He he is the Mufasa of the show for the first season. He really not gonna is. Lie. He's such a good character. Like, I really liked his job description and what he did and his role. They really respected him, you know? But, so at the end, you see that Booth finds a way to get Hodgins out of going to the donor banquet. Mm-hmm. And... Angela is the one who's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of this. So you see everyone trusts her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, I guess we're going to go. And so they go about it. But you look at Booth and the way he looks at Brennan. Because she's all dolled up. He's checking her out, but not in a, damn, she a hot piece of ass type of way. It's a, wow, you are absolutely breathtaking. Uh, like, my heart. oh, my gosh, the ad- adoration. It's mm-hmm. just beautiful. But they're talking about basically how, you know, she trusts him. All about that trust and how, like, how did you know, you know? Like, Booth was like, how'd you know I would do it? Like, how'd you know I would pull Keep the promise. Through? Exactly. And she's just like, you know, I knew you wouldn't make me into a liar. And mm-hmm. I was just like. Yep. And he's like, you know, um, what did you say? <laughs> She wouldn't, he wouldn't make him to a liar. And he's like, why do you say that? And she's like, because that would make you a liar. And you want to go to heaven. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, but you don't believe in heaven. But you do. Because she respects him. Yes. But it's funny. Did you also notice that chip? Yep. He's holding a gambling chip. He's been, he's been playing with it throughout the whole episode, just kind of tossing it around. And you know what? So here are my thoughts. Okay. I'm going to get a little English teachery, but. All right. Pickopedia. It's Got a it. gambling chip, potentially a gambling sobriety chip. Okay. Um, 
And to me, it seems like he does it in like a self-soothing way when it comes to taking a chance, taking a gamble. And I don't remember seeing him play with it in the last couple of episodes, but I, I definitely either. noticed it in this scene. Like he's really just doing it when things work out. To me, it symbolizes him kind of looking at Bones the way he is, thinking about taking a chance, taking on a her. chance, but or he's, trusting her, mm-hmm. showing like how his trust works out, yep. or things working out when he talks to her. It's like a little enjoyment, like pat on the back. High five to himself yes. that he does that. Tosses Absolutely. It That's so yeah. cute. So what what were your overall thoughts on this episode? Damn, that was sad. I know. I feel like Damn every, Publisher. everyone in this episode is serving emotion. Like yes. Angela's feeling as though she's a death worker. Everyone like her got, life, apparently her there's money wanted. here. You got the money, money man in mm-hmm. here. Dr. Goodman feels sympathy for Angela, tries to raise her spirits. Zach mm-hmm. is feeling distraught. You know, Hodgins trying to hide a part of himself. Bones is being reminded of her time in foster care. And the- Booth is learning that Bones respects her and that he's willing to do the impossible for mm-hmm. her. The episode really emphasized, like, a little more about their characters on who they are and yes. how they act and what kind of person they're trying to portray in here. And it's really showing a lot. Like, you could see, I'm assuming the chip is also kind of like a little foreshadowing, I guess, for future episodes to show, hey, mm-hmm. this is actually a player chip, like a poker chip. And this is actually for, you know, future reference. You're going to touch up on Booth later because they don't really talk much about Booth as much. Not yet. yet. And it, this is more of like everyone else, like you said. So Yeah, we don't get really more cool. background background on mm-hmm. Booth until the man in the fallout shelter. Nope. But, which is oh, one of my favorite episodes of the first season. Episode. That's such a good episode. <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't wait for that episode. So excited. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You ready to move? I guess I am. All right, guys. Time for our true crime segment. Time for Pigapedia. Don't forget to follow us on our social media, guys. Under Panda Pig Inc. on pretty much everything. (laughs) Almost (laughs) everything. Everything. Yeah. Just... Follow us, guys. Come on. Follow us. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. We'll talk to you. You know. We'll, we'll try. Hang out. Let's hang. We'll try and be interesting. We, we, we're trying. We're not always interesting. But no. we're trying. We're, we're too corny for life. <laughs> yeah. But I like corn. I like corn too. cheese. I like cheese corn. Corn cheese. <sighs> yes. Korean barbecue. Yeah. We love you. All right. I'll bring us into it. So. Here we go. Um, The... Inspiration for this episode is, and I'll, I guess I'll kind of get to it in the end. When I was researching it, they didn't necessarily put a crime that inspired this episode. Mm-hmm. The writers said that what they wanted to do was include a case about the death of a young boy and how that would affect the characters. Okay. And they also wanted to explore more of Bones' background as being in foster care. And everyone's background, too, since they're already hitting her in the fields. So. Yeah, so that was okay. kind of the purpose that the writers had for this episode. So they didn't provide a, case, a particular case to me. I immediately thought of this case when I was watching this episode. Okay. What is it? 
So it's the murder of James Bulger. James Bulger. And I feel like I may have told you something about this case before, but I don't remember, and I don't know if you remember. Okay. So. If you hear clicking, guys, sorry, I have a slideshow in front mm-hmm. of me that Pig creates for me. Yes. Obviously, we'll have pictures ready for you now, but you'll hear clicking because I'm scrolling through her slideshow she makes for me as she talks about it for me. Yes. So the first page, Miss Panda, mm-hmm. is you're going to click on the slide after James Bulger. Okay. And there you'll see a photo of James Bulger. Okay. And another photo next to it of James Bulger's mother, Denise. Okay. And James in that same photo. Okay. They look like two different children. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with some pretty dark foreshadowing here, okay? Oh, God. Am I going to so be ready? So Denise okay. gives birth to her stillborn daughter at the age of 22, Kirsty. Safe to say she's heartbroken. She remembers saying to herself, today is the worst day of your life. It will never get worse than this. That's sad. Two years later, however, okay. she gives birth to a healthy baby boy, James. She says he was very bubbly. He loved dancing to Michael Jackson videos, making people laugh. She said, my happiest memory of him is him running towards me with his hair bouncing everywhere. He didn't walk anywhere. He'd run into your arms with a big smile on his face. Mm -hmm. Very lively child. Yes. Okay. So when James is two years old, 1993... February 12th, in Merseyside, I hope that I'm saying that right, England, James and his mother, Denise, go to the New Strand Shopping Center. So now you can go to the next page. Yep. Okay. So at around 3.40 p.m., Denise goes into the A.R. Tim's Butcher Shop on the lower floor of the center. So Denise is a pretty cautious mom. Is this Um, like a market? Yes. Like a marketplace, basically? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like a shopping center, and then there's a marketplace within it. Okay. Um, she usually takes James in a shopping cart in England. They call it a buggy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this day, she didn't. She was kind of in a hurry. Okay. So, 3.40 p.m., she goes to the butcher shop. And in the time it takes her to pull money out of her purse, Denise realizes that James has disappeared. What? The moments caught on CCTV footage... At 3.42. So they go in the butcher shop at 3.40. And at 3.42, James is gone. Two what? minutes. Just a matter of two minutes. Two minutes. He got swiped. So the police... Oh, my God. So obviously she goes to the police. They're freaking out. And they quickly find some low-resolution video image images of James's abduction from the mall by oh two unidentified boys. So you can go to the next picture. And it's... Basically, um, the news letter of a, a still image from the footage. You see that little boy is, is James and there's an older boy. And they're trying to figure out where Do the heck is James. Do they know how old this guy is? Well, I will let you know. Oh, okay. So two days later, James's body is found severed at a railway embankment. Oh, my God. A forensic pathologist says that he died before the train struck him. I don't know how I feel about that. Because that's... It sucks because he died, but it's good he didn't die 
by getting severed by a train. This is true. These are facts. But. But it doesn't get better from here. No. So the breakthrough in the case came when a woman called the police on seeing slightly enhanced images of the CCTV footage of the boys on TV. She recognizes 10-year-old John Venables, who she knew skipped school with Robert Thompson, who's also 10 years old, the day of James's abduction. Okay? Uh, uh, so, 10 years old. <clears throat> both of them are 10 years old. Oh, my God. So, Robert Thompson is interviewed by law enforcement with a lawyer and his mother, Anne. Alrighty. Okay. So a lot of this is from the from the interview interrogation scripts. Okay. Okay. So Robert says that he and John skipped school that day for the shopping center to walk around. That he saw James with his mother there, but that he left with John to go to the library and go straight back home. So he's like, We just saw him, but we didn't do anything. Oh. Which is weird because <laughs> Why would you remember seeing some random child at the uh, Yeah, I was about to say, like, you just casually remember. Did they have a picture, too? Like, we're like, oh, yeah, we remember nope. this kid. Nope, they're just like, yeah, we saw him, but nothing. So the, so the So the boys are in, in interviewed separately. Oh, yeah, they're 10 years old. Obviously, right. they don't know any better. So the detective implied that John is telling a different story. So Robert's <laughs> like, so then Robert says... That James may have followed them, but they probably lost him somewhere. Okay. So the detectives even point out that the boy in the video had the same jacket as Robert did. And Robert's like, jackets get sold like mine all the time. Okay. So why why aren't you looking at John's jacket? It's more distinctive. Okay. So as the interview goes on, Robert pulling teeth. If I was (laughs) the person interrogating, Robert indirectly admits to being with John the whole day, and that John had James by the hand. Okay. So, so this these interviews they're over the course of a couple of days because of how difficult it was to try to get information out of these boys from ten year old kids. Yeah. Mm Hmm. So, um. Youths. <laughs> so they'd been together the whole day. Robert was pretty collected up until this point, but he started to get flustered. He began to sob, I never touched him. What? Just out of nowhere? Yeah, like they're they're hounding him, trying to figure out what happened to James. And he's pretty collected, but up until now he's like, oh, look, I never touched him. Oh my god. So Robert said that they walked around, but let James go around a church. Robert says that, so Robert then says that he left John and James by the railway and nothing more. So basically Robert's story's changing throughout this whole thing. Yeah. But the detectives ask Robert if he stole batteries. Okay. This makes Robert's face go red. Oh, dang. Okay. And they, and he, he won't answer to it. So they pull a classic, like, look, make this easier on yourself and tell us the truth. So Robert tells the detectives that John threw bricks at James's face. 
Oh my god. He says that John hit James with a stick and a big metal thing with holes in it, which was like a big 22-pound pipe. Oh my god. He said that James was lying on the tracks with his eyes open while John threw batteries at his face. Why? He's just two years old. What was the point of that? Robert insists that he tried to stop John. And remember, this whole time, his mother is sitting there, hearing this. His mother's in utter shock. She cannot believe what's coming out of her Is she in the same room? Mouth. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so Robert admits, so they found blood on Robert's shoes. Okay. And he says that he tried to move James off the track. And that's why he got blood on his shoes. But once he started bleeding more, he put James back down. So he's coming okay. up excuses for pretty much anything the cops are trying to say Robert yeah. may have been involved in. It sounds about right. So this whole time, Robert's being very shifty. He's putting the blame on John, justifying how he couldn't have done it. He's like, I wouldn't have hurt a baby. I have a little brother. Why would I hurt a baby? How old is the little brother? Like around James's age. Okay. So the detectives confront Robert with the evidence that they believe the batteries were shoved up James's rectum. Oh my god. And that they found trauma to James's genitals. No. So Robert again acted shocked by the accusation and pointed the finger to John. Ultimately, at the end of the inter- interrogation, Robert says that John tried to cover up James's head with stones, but he admitted to only putting one brick on to stop all the bleeding. What? So Robert's story ultimately makes no sense. It's ups and downs. He's blaming John for everything. Yeah, he's he just there. throwing John under the bus at this point. Mm-hmm. And so then we go to the investigation with John. John's side of the story. Oh, God. So John's interviewed with his mother, Susan. And he's not like Robert. Robert, the whole time... He's very intelligent, very collected. He's even countering the officer's points, like when the officers are like... You mean John is... Yes. Okay. Well, no, 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 sorry. Back with Robert, the, the juxtaposition is that Robert's very cool and collected. He was very intelligent. He even countered the officer's points where they're like, isn't that your jacket? And he's like, anybody could have bought this jacket. Okay. Like, a 10-year-old doesn't talk like yeah, that. Yeah, 10-year-olds don't talk like that. Now, John... In the opposition is hysterical. He's emotional. They can, be, he can barely get answers out. He's not. He's trying to avoid the questions. Right. So, John initially tries to put Robert down as the bad kid, but he ends up kind of sounding as though, like he admires Robert's ability to be bad. You know, what? where he's like, he's trying to say Robert's bad, but John kind of admires it. You know, like how? Like, you have an example for that? Like, not, not necessarily. Where kind of like he's saying all the things that almost Robert's, like flaunting. Kind of, he's kind of saying all of the things that Robert does. Like Robert skips school. Robert does this. Robert Robert's does a that. cool kid. Yes. Okay. Basically, Robert's a cool dude. Yeah. But right. So John said it was Robert's idea to miss school that day. Okay. That saying that they went to the park, the old railways, and a cemetery where Robert wanted to steal flowers, but John said no. John said that Robert stole paint from the store as well. Okay. So detectives start to confront John with Robert's version of events. 
and John gets really defensive. The detectives can tell he wants to say more, but he's afraid of what his parents are going to think. Because they're right there. Right. So they have John's parents, you know, reassure him that they're going to love him no matter what. No matter they just what, know he what happens. They just want to know what happened. So John climbs into his mother laps, mother's lap and begins to sob. And he says, I did kill him. And he says, what about his mom? Will you tell her I'm sorry? James's mom. Why did you do it in the first place, you damn kid? Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what got me about that part is just, like, he's ten years old, but these actions that happened to this two-year-old boy are horrific. But it's but, like you were capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Like... So, further into the interview, John says that Robert stole paint at the toy store, that they tried to abduct another child earlier in the day, but the mother of the child caught them okay. and took a kid. John confessed to taking James by the hand, but that it was Robert's idea to kill him. John said that they thought about looking for his mother, but that Robert suggested that they throw James in the water at the canal. John described how they tried to get James to fall in the water, and Robert threw James to the ground. Oh, my God. As John tried to talk about what happened, like, further, he became hysterical. Remember, this took place over a couple of days. Yeah. He said he didn't want to talk about the worst bit. Quote. Oh, my God. So they threw bricks at James's head. Robert hit James with an iron bar. James fell on his stomach, and the boys ran away. But then they ultimately came back, took him to the railroad tracks, and, you know. But you said that he got killed before the railroad came. They, he died at the railroad tracks, but it wasn't the train that killed him. Yeah. So the cops tried to talk to him about the batteries, too. But John, he wouldn't speak about it. He said it was all Robert. So did he die because of, like, all the force, like, all the... Blend forced his face, yeah. basically. Everything. All of that overwhelming to a two-year-old. So pretty much everything. So the boys... So all three of the boys were seen by 38 different people. Okay. Throughout the day. Like, throughout James having his injuries and, and everything. They saw... And they didn't do anything. What is that uh, term? The bystanders? Ba yeah, bystanders. So two people tried to challenge the boys about having James, but they claimed that James was their younger brother and he was lost and they were taking him to the police station. But so yet. a few people kind of said something, but the boys were very cool and collect and were like, oh yeah, this is our little brother. We're taking him here. At and one, yeah. What the heck? Like literally this kid's all beaten up. Yes. This Are you kidding me? What I would have done is I would have I went, went with them. them. Yes, absolutely. But no, this is 93. Okay. So at one point, they even took James to a pet store and they got kicked out of the store. So, so pretty much, it's just like the most, the worst events all happening together. So James sustained 10 skull fractures as a result of a bar striking his head. Alan Williams, the case's pathologist, stated that James suffered so many injuries 
42 in total, that none could be isolated as the fatal blow. Meaning that he had so many injuries, they couldn't even figure out which one is the one that killed him. There's too much. Mm -hmm. James's shoes, socks, trousers, and underpants had been removed as well. So the pathologist report, you know, it just found the horrendous stuff that had been done to this little kid. so So ultimately, the boys laid James across the railway tracks and weighted his head down with rubble, and his body was then cut in half by the train. So the difficult part in this whole story is the fact that these little 10-year-old murderers are 10 years old. Right? The the most controversy came with trying to convict them. Okay. So they were obviously found guilty. Yeah. November 24th, 1993. Making yeah. them the youngest convicted murderers in modern British history. That's insane. Um, they were sentenced to detention at Her Majesty's pleasure until a parole board decision in 2001 determined... Oh, I just now saw the pictures. I didn't know we were moving. Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot the other pictures. There's really... It's just oh, the one of the of the John. boys. That's them. That's uh, Robert oh on the gosh. on the left and John oh, on the right. right. Ten years old. That's insane. So basically, the boys get to be incarcerated for eight years at a home or whatever child facility and then they get released on parole so john's mother fights this tooth and nail and gets their detention increased to 15 years however decreased or increased increased to 15 years but john's mother or james's mother Denise, James's mother. James's mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. James's mother campaigns for longer sentences for John and Robert. Okay. That makes sense. I thought you said John. I'm like, John's mm-hmm. mom. No, sorry. So, but that gets overruled. And they get released in 2001. Oh, of course they do. They also get the right to anonymity because they were so young when the crimes were convicted. So they get new identities. Um paid for by the government wow and denise fights this and campaigns against this so much so in 2000 so in 2010 john was sent to prison because he violated his parole okay he gets released in 2013 2017 he goes back to prison because they found child pornography on his computer (laughs) So, okay. I think what a lot of people try to figure out is why the heck did this happen? Well, what about Robert? Anything happened to him? No, n- nothing There's really no, known uh, about, nothing it. about him. Okay. So, a little bit about the psychological profiles that were done at the time of sentencing. So, with Robert, he was later asked to reenact the crime with dolls with a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and he showed John as the aggressor. He would reenact everything about the crime except for the sexual parts the psychiatrist suggested that to to robert like the psychiatrist was talking to robert and said maybe the crime was sexually motivated and robert seemed kind of indifferent to the idea like he didn't really say yes or no okay robert's parents they weren't together and his mother supposedly had a drinking problem 
Okay. But Robert was fiercely defensive about his mom and wouldn't speak to it at all. Okay. All in all, the psychiatrist says that Robert was above average intelligence, exhibited no sign of mental illness or depression, but that he was currently displaying symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, For, after this situation, basically? Yeah, or maybe even from his home life. Okay. So for John, John seemed to be obviously more timid than Robert. Mm -hmm. Johnson's family believed that he was a good kid, but that he was impressionable. He had low self-esteem. He seemed to kind of be like middle child syndrome because okay. his other siblings got more attention because they had some different needs and disabilities. Mm -hmm. But he seemed um, like a normal kid. Mm-hmm. His parents were constantly um, splitting up and getting back together. But they were kind of worried that he would get bullied a lot, especially mm. hanging out with Robert. Um, he seemed to be traumatized the most from the murder, but was found to not be mentally ill. Psychiatrists, when they were talking with him, this part makes me so sad because it just shows, like, this was a child. So they asked John if he had three magic wishes, what would they be? And he says, one, to be free from the secure unit. So, obviously, to be free from where they were. Yeah. To turn the world into a chocolate factory. Okay. To live forever with money, no accidents, or illnesses. And if he could be anyone, he'd be Sylvester Stallone's character from Rocky or Sonic the Hedgehog because he ran fast and saved his friends. But then he ended up taking quite a turn. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who reoffended, which is weird because yeah. everyone saw Robert as the leader and John as the follower. But then it kind of switched. Mm -hmm. So there's this um, YouTuber that I watched, Dr. Grande. He does a lot of mental health and personality analysis for different crimes or pop culture pop culture things mm -hmm. and so he had a video about this crime and he said you know kind of mirrored the same thing that like everyone was really shocked that john was the one who reoffended. Mm -hmm. but he also found it interesting that you know mental health professionals when they interviewed both of the boys they didn't find either of them to be psychopathic or anything like that that basically they're like nope they're not mentally ill they don't need any therapy they're good and typically, okay. with these types of crimes, people build up to this type of a crime. Yeah, there had to be something that usually triggers them Over to years. do something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, it's not, it's not crazy to think that they would reoffend. It's highly likely that they would. But they were treated as if they, they were young, they mm -hmm. were just being foolish but you know obviously james's mom is like no they were capable of this evil mm -hmm. that even they they had no limits they like nothing none. triggered them to stop even when so many people saw them they, they just kept going and even um john's um the mental health professionals who reviewed him they're like no, John doesn't need therapy. And in fact, therapy could make him worse. What? Yeah. Isn't that, like, that's insane. Who said that? Medical professionals? Yeah. When, uh, they reviewed John. So, that makes me angry. So here's the aftermath, okay? Okay. 
so Denise is now 50 years old. Oops, sorry. James's mother. She's remarried. She still doesn't know much about what happened that day. They didn't tell her? She didn't attend the trial because she was really pregnant with her second son and was told that the stress could make her miscarry. She could lose her baby, yeah. Yeah. So, and she doesn't want to know. Okay, so she never finds out. She, like, she knows essentially, but she doesn't want to know the details. Literally, every day, her husband goes through the newspaper with a thick black marker to blank out any details that she wouldn't want to know. Yeah. Like, she does not want to know. I don't blame her. And, um, and to this day, she is still, like, advocating for, for them to have their anonymity taken away. Her husband, that's, she remarried, so this is not James's father. No. This is a new man. Okay. No, they got divorced. Okay. Um, but in 2018, there was this Irish short drama film that was created, um, about it. Oh, wow. And it basically is, it's 30 minutes long, it's on Amazon Prime, it's called Detainment, and it's essentially just small flashback about the, uh, with showing, like, Robert and John walking James around, but it's mostly the dialogue from the interviews with the detectives. So, you see this reenacted by these two little boys who are phenomenal actors. I watched it to prepare for this, and it's really well done. I don't think they necessarily paint them in the most favorable light. I feel like it's pretty unbiased. You still feel horrified by what these boys did. But But the execution was done well. Yes. Okay. But Denise, James's mom, did not like it. She was so upset that they made this film. But um, Malcolm Stevens, he oversaw the detention of the killers as the former home secretary professional advisor Mm -hmm. and he defended making the film he says that it raises questions about the treatment of young offenders um and kind of touches on those hard topics because this is a controversial case they're both so young and people think you know they need a second chance but sometimes they do re-offend and sometimes they don't Mm -hmm. but it's a wild card but yeah, and this this documentary film, it was it was done really well mm-hmm. and it just gives you this unique perspective of how it's not black and white. Like these are clearly children. These are clearly little boys, but what yeah. they did was unimaginable. Oh, and even if hell yeah. Even if you take John's word that he didn't participate as much as he wanted to, like he says things like he didn't throw bricks at James. He threw them past James. But it's like, even so, you were there for the whole thing. You let it happen. Mm-hmm. So oh it's God. it's a tough case. And the reason I thought of it, because it's so eerily similar to the episode. Oh, where you, were, you showed me pictures, too. There is a woman, and then there's three kids. Who? What, are, what, are, uh, what am I looking yes, at? Yes, so that's Denise. Okay. And those are her boys. Those are her boys now? Yes. And it looks like she wrote a book. Yes, she wrote a book. And And it says, I let him go? Yep. Do you know anything about that book? That's the book she talks about, you know, her fight and her life and 
you know, trying to get justice for James. Yeah. My um, uh, sources for this episode were obviously Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and an article called My Son, James Bulger. I don't have energy for anger anymore, which is the interview with um, James's mother, Denise Fergus, which is her new last name. Okay. The uh, YouTube video with Dr. Grande called James Bulger Murder, Mental Health and Personality, mm-hmm. as well as a 60 Minutes from Australia called Torture and Murder of Toddler James Bulger. So those are my sources. Um, That's so sad. But what reminded me of this episode was that you have a child leading another child out of the store. Mm-hmm. And this horrendous crime committed against a little boy. And it's interesting because compared to the Bones episode, the Bones episode, it was an older person, but the kids let it happen. In this situation, the kids did it, but the adults let it happen. Yep. That's so sad. Yes. And when you... um read more into her article, um, you get so much more background mm-hmm. as to what it was like for her and her everyday struggle, where she still does not believe that these boys should have been given the leniency that they did, considering what they did. I mean, yeah, that was her child. Granted, these two are children as well, but it's like, they were obviously capable Mm -hmm. of it so it's just no just that's not okay that's not okay i think the government saw this and were like these are children and it's a controversial situation but clearly kids you don't commit that kind of crime kind of crime and then just commit that type of evil of crime and not (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's so, sad. Those, that poor kid. I know. I'm so sorry, sweet child. That's a rough one. That but um, instantly when I saw this episode, this is the case that I thought of. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. just the idea, because they kind of touch on this where in the episode of Bones, the juvenile prosecutor is talking to her and is saying... You know, this child very well could have murdered. Yeah, they bring this that boy. up. They bring that up for sure. Be harder on him. Yeah, and they do. Kids can kill, and it's the most horrifying thing because you, you can't imagine innocence and evil. You wouldn't think they would do such a thing, but no. it happens. It definitely happens, and <sighs> that's sad. Yeah, that really sucks. So that's. That's the the murder of James Bulger. Rest in peace, little guy. mm -hmm, And remember that he was a very bubbly, happy child who loved Michael Jackson (laughs) and making people laugh. Such a poor little kid. That will be his legacy. Yes, that will be his legacy. So that's, that's kind of about it for this episode. Yep. Hope you guys are all right. Mm-hmm. Made it this far. Hug your pets. Hug your family. 
stay in your if you have children I'm sorry all I'm thinking of is that <laughs> was it a vine hide your wives hide your kids <laughs> hide, your, hide your kids hide your wives the um was it a news or vine <laughs> no it was from the news yeah, and, it, from the and news. it was much earlier than vine but yes it was I just feel like YouTube. they used it in vine later they did yeah yeah, that's, so that's hug, how I it. <laughs> opposite, hug your family, hug your kids, hug your pets, and you, if you have children, um, please be careful. Be careful, but like, even if they're older, that's when they need you the most. Yes, definitely. But be involved know. in your kids' lives. Pay know attention. What's going on. Pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to what's going on at home. And if you see two, <laughs> a ten-year-old and a two-year-old walking down the street, and it looks sus. Do something. Yeah. Call somebody. Go with them. Don't don't pick them up and take them in your car because That's, then you look sus. Now you're sus. <laughs> but call the police. Do the right thing. Do something. Please do the right thing. Do the right thing. All right, guys. Well, right. that'll be it for this episode. We'll hope see you, you next week. Yeah. With hope you guys the, hang with us next week. The next episode, which is the man in the wall. Man in the wall. We will catch you later. Catch y'all guys later. Adios. Bye. Bye. Next week on The Heart and the Bones. Shin? No. Not the shin. <laughs> Is it the shin? Wait, what was the parts again? Sorry, I wasn't It's between the knee and the foot. Is yeah, it's a shin. shin. Okay, well, either way, something around those lines, it gets snapped, and then yeah, she starts, sh- she's screaming, and she gets pulled in.